Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25, and can be found on page 965 in the Red Bibles. We have Bibles in other languages and versions available at the back, and page numbers for those are on the screen. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. The second reading is Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20, and can be found on page 1000 in the Red Bibles. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hannah, thank you very much for, um, for reading that for us. And uh, we're going to so keep Matthew open. We're looking at Matthew this, uh, this term. And let me pray uh, as we begin. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would open our hearts and minds to your word. Lord, as we recover, as it were, from Christmas and the new year, we pray as we set ourselves for, the, for, for this new year that you would open our hearts that we may know the Lord Jesus in our lives through this book. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, um, I, I, I'm delighted to, it's great to look at this particular passage. And we, we looked at the beginning and we looked at the end of, of the Gospel of uh, Matthew. And that particular, oh, I think I've managed to switch this off. So let me just switch it back on. Um, have we got, our screen has gone here, but it's there. So that's, oh, that's great. Thank you, Jess. Um, that last bit, Matthew 28, at the very end, lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That, uh, that last section from Matthew, um, when I was a brand new Christian, I found that the first thing I wanted to do was to read the Bible. I was 18, 19, something like that. I just felt I had to read the Bible. And uh, 
I wasn't sure when I was going to read it because I was working in the city of London. I was traveling in on the Metropolitan Line to, uh, to, to the city, to Liverpool Street. It's a long journey on, on the tube, and I thought, well, that's where I'm going to read my Bible. So I, I got my Bible in my hand, and then I was slightly embarrassed to read a Bible on the tube going in with all those business people, so I covered it with a brown paper, <laughs> sort of, you know, it was in, you know, people must have thought it was a dodgy book or something, but anyway, I was reading it, and I can remember reading all the way through Matthew, and when I got to the last section, and lo, I am with you always to the end of the age, I was so gripped, I remember bursting into tears, now that's very embarrassing to do particularly if you regard yourself as a Wasps rugby player, you know, super macho and all the rest of it. But I just burst into tears. I thought, that's amazing. That's amazing. He is with me. And as we look at this gospel, I want you to get that sense. Jesus didn't come 2,000 years ago, and then he's absent, and then he'll come again. There is a sense that, that Jesus is with you. And you need to live in that reality. And, and, and the, one of the key ways we know that is through the reading of this book. And in particular, as we're looking at, at Matthew, in reading the Gospel of Matthew. That it's as you open this ordinary bit of paper and read the story, that Jesus Christ becomes real to you. And I, I don't know about you, but if I know Jesus is with me, I'm able to handle all sorts of things that come at me in life. Whatever, whatever comes, you are equipped, uh, you're guided through life by him, and, and you're able to deal with, with, with what comes. And so my prayer is that as we study Matthew's gospel, that you will know he is with you. And that at certain moments, that may even pierce you so much that you may even want to cry. Now, that's a big call, isn't it? <laughs> How are we going to do that? Well, we're going to look at the introduction um, to Matthew. And um, I'm going to take the first and the last pages of uh, Matthew's Gospel, page one. It's not actually, it's page 965. And uh, two points. New year, new me, two points. Okay, I just I thought that'd make you smile. I thought you'd be pleased. Uh, so uh, here we go. First point: God with us to save. Now, as you look at Matthew's gospel, a small doubt may form in your mind, especially if you've read any Dan Brown novels. Anybody read in Dan Brown novels? Yeah. Okay, well, a few of you. You know, he talks about something called the apocryphal gospels. There are apparently eighty or so of them. And uh, so why do we trust the four that we read? Now, I had staying with me a, a, a good long-time friend of mine, uh, Marcus Bockmilly. He's Dr. Marcus Bockmilly, teaches New Testament at Oxford University. He's a bright bunny. And uh, he wrote this book. It's called The Ancient Apocryphal Gospels. He said, Steve, you can read this. And he must have seen my face because who wants to read, you know, this anyway? <laughs> Sorry. No, he says, just read the first and the last chapters. And I did. And to my joy and my delight, I discovered that actually these four Gospels are by a country mile universally accepted. They're unique, they're distinctive, they're above all the other writings. All the other writings are derivative. And as I read um, Marcus's opening and closing chapters, I was even more confident that Jesus is to be trusted. 
So, and somebody else agrees with me out there as well. I'm not sure who it is, but anyway, which is great. So, how does this gospel begin? It begins, chapter 1, verse 1, with every Bible reader's nightmare, the genealogy. I was going to get somebody to read it, but I had mercy on, uh, on Hannah. She probably would have done it really well, I'm sure. But it's called, it starts, this is the genealogy of Jesus. This is the Bible of Genesis of origin. And as you read that, you go, oh, that's interesting. We've Genesis in the beginning. And actually in, in Genesis chapter 2, there's this Bible of, of origin. This, it, it, there's Adam, a little bit about Adam. And then in, in, in chapter 5, there's a big bit about Adam and Eve. But Adam, Adam's genealogy. And if you go back to chapter 5 of Genesis... And read it. Don't go there now, but just take my word for it. There's a whole long list of Adam's family tree. And after each person, it says, and he died. And he died. And he died. And she died. Now, this book is different. Because when you get to the end of Matthew, you get an empty tomb. You get an empty tomb. There's something different about this family tree. And then if you read through this family tree, and Sarah hinted at it, there are some interesting characters in this family tree. There are some skeletons. Um, We did a series once on the mothers, the women in this family tree. Remarkable that there are women, and women's are treated in the Bible, as, as all of them, as heroines all. But nevertheless, they have interesting pasts. Bathsheba and... She's not mentioned by name, but as the, as the wife of Uriah. And David, of course, you know. There was that one big sin, if you know that story. Uh, you know the story of uh, Rahab. Rahab was Rahab the prostitute. Uh, Ruth, wonderful Ruth, was nevertheless an outsider who, who felt she never belonged. And then there's Tamar. Tamar had to d- deal with that incestuous rape. And then... And those are the women, and they're way above the men. The men, most of the men, are faithless kings. And yet, you see in this family tree that Jesus was born. And it, it is quite a remarkable thing, isn't it? If he has these people in his family, family tree, do you think he's going to be ashamed to have them in his congregation? I don't think so. It's quite, it's quite something, isn't it? A family tree of which he is not ashamed. Why is that? It is because of his names. And so we come to the naming of Jesus in Matthew, verses 18 to 25. You know it really well if you've been here for Christmas. Um, The angel gave um, uh, the child the first name. That name is Jesus. And he says that Jesus is Yahweh saves because he will save his people from their sins. You can see that over the page in verse 21. You're going to give him that name, Jesus. He is going to be the sacrificial lamb. He's going to die in place of his people, bearing their sins. But he can only do that through his second name. And that's where we get to this name, uh, Emmanuel. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet. That's Isaiah. 
A virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That could only happen because the one who is to save had to be one with us. As uh, the book of Hebrews says, he, he had to become our flesh and blood to get on the inside so as to open the way out of our troubles. Now, um, over Christmas, we, we thought about this, and I, I used this story uh, at uh, one of the carol services, only a small one, so you probably didn't hear it. But do you remember the remarkable story of the rescue of the boys in Thailand? Remember the, the football team? Amazing, amazing story. Um, I didn't realize this, but they traveled 3,000 meters into the cave complex. And the only way to rescue them was for somebody to go inside at the risk of their lives. And these specialist divers had to bring them out. He is with us as he's one of us. They had to bring them out one by one. And we praised the divers who did it. And we made a hero, rightly, of the one who died in the process. But in doing so, you see, the divers had to go through the very same experience that the boys went through in order to bring them out. Now, in a similar way, you see, Christ got in on the inside. He became, the Son of God became fully human in order to be the first human out and to show the way out, to open the way for us. It is a remarkable thing. He had to become one of us. So when you read God with us, I mean, we often say that oh, God is with us, God is with us. But, you know, really, he was with us <laughs> as one of us. And it's no wonder that Matthew records this quotation from Isaiah. And if you go back to Isaiah chapter 7, you'll see that it says, the virgin will, will conceive and call his name Emmanuel. But in this passage, there's a little they in there. They will call him Emmanuel. And I don't think it's referring to Mary and Joseph. I think it's saying his family tree, not just the one that's in the past, but the one since the birth of Jesus, which includes you and me. We will say of him, ah, truly God with us, truly Emmanuel with us. There's no other God like this. There's no other saviour who got in on the inside. No other religion has done that. That demonstrates, you see, his level of commitment to us. If you are not sure about that, this chapter 1 tells you the level of commitment. God with us to save. Diving in. That's the first point. And so it's one that should encourage you. But now let's turn to the very back. We're going to do what you should never do with any novel and story, which is to read the back page before you've read the bit in the middle. Um, although it is what I did with this book, which is to read the first and the last chapters. Anyway, uh, God with us to stay. How does it end? It ends with Jesus standing on a mountain, which is interesting. It's kind of as if he's between heaven and earth. And, and it's with Jesus commissioning his disciples to continue 
this mission that he has begun as the king, because the rest of the chapter talks about the kingdom of heaven is here, because near because the king is here. Now he says, all authority in heaven is given to me. And this Jesus who has done miracles, who has died and been raised from the death, has done all the teaching, they're going to see him one last time before he commissions them. And yet he says, well, this is the last time, and lo, he says, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Or literally, lo, I am with you the whole of every day until the completion of the ages. Now he's with us in a different way. He's with us to stay. He, he didn't just visit, you see, he remained. And, and he is with us in, in, in four particular ways. And you're going to tell me afterwards, I know that it's not two-point sermon, it's a six-point sermon, you kidded us. But anyway, there you go. He's with us in, in four particular ways. He is with us as the Lord of all, the Lord of history. All authority has been given to me. I am king over heaven and earth. And you're to expand my kingdom. You're to make it grow. The church, if it does not grow, dies. That's why we have build a base, reach the city. So you've got to go, right? Going, making disciples. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. Interestingly, Jesus doesn't think his teaching is going to be out of date. Just trying to drop that one in there. Especially his teaching on, uh, on marriage. Not out of date. But here's the point, you see. I think, as you go, do not fear what will happen to you. For my kingdom works on a death and resurrection principle. People and Satan may throw their worst at you, and you might say, how on earth can God bring good out of this? But my death resulted in the saving of many and my resurrection. My kingdom works on a death and resurrection principle. Therefore, being with you means you don't have to fear what's going to happen this year. I am with you, do you see? I'm going to bring good out of even the worst situations, but I am with you. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? I'm Lord of heaven and earth. That little phrase, heaven and earth, comes all the way through the gospel. You know, we pray, let, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Anyway, just to mention that. So I'm with you as Lord of all. So you do not need to fear. I bring good to my people in my kingdom. I work all things for good. And I am with you in this word and this gospel. I said it is the clear purpose of Christianity that it must spread or else it decays. But what power have we to change lives? He says, You've got to go and make disciples, but how do you make, how can you, I can't change a single life. We've got Christianity Explored starting on Thursday. People are going to come. It's going to be, I can't change a life. But I know actually that he will be with me and with the opening of that word and he will speak as we look at a gospel together. This is a big concept, but just get your head around it. I know making you work hard and it's early morning and you know, you're just kind of good with it. But Ephesians 2 verse 17, Paul, St. Paul says, Christ came and preached peace to you. Right? That's in, in, in one of his letters. Christ came to Ephesus and preached peace to you. But he never came to Ephesus. He didn't come to Ephesus. But 
as the message was preached, they heard Christ. Christ came to them. When you read this word, particularly when you read a gospel, is it Christ is preaching to you. That's why we must read the scriptures, not just kind of read as you might read a newspaper, but read as you might read a love letter or a, a letter from your parents so you, you dwell on it, so you think on it. Christ speaks to you. It was how St. Augustine got converted. Um, he was agonizing over his, over his failure to follow, to be a good person. He, he didn't know, he didn't understand the gospel. And then he heard, as he was weeping, he says in his own words, he heard from a neighboring house a voice, a boy or a girl, he doesn't know, chanting and often repeating this little phrase, take up and read, take up and read, tole lege, take up and read. And instantly, he said, his face altered. And then he, he found a Bible and he opened it. And instantly, at the end of the, the first sentence, he read it and light as if it were of serenity, infused into my heart, and all the darkness of doubt vanished away. Christ spoke to him. You see. Christ was real to him. And that's what happened to me on the tube. He is with you in the Christian community. You can live the Christian life as a hermit if you want to, but uh, it's quite difficult. And when it says, I am with you, or with the you is plural, it's not singular, I'm with you all. They say in the south, uh, in the southern part of the states, I'm with y'all, <laughs> I'm with you all. And, 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 and you, that's knowing one another, speaking to other Christians, you, you, it's as if Christ becomes real through them. Uh, it says in chapter 18, you know, where two or three gather in my name, I am there with them. Now, that was a church discipline issue. But, uh, you know, you might be speaking to, to your pastor, your house group leader, and through them you hear Christ. I mean, I remember somebody challenged me once, said you're not entirely truthful. And it wasn't that person I heard, it was Christ I heard. <laughs> Actually or encouraging you, or absolving you, or saying, actually, it's, it's okay, the gospel says you're forgiven. And when you hear it from a brother, it's as if Christ is speaking to you, or a sister, it's as if Christ is speaking to you. Do you see, so real. And then, I am with you at the end. I'm with you to the end, and at the end, I am with you. To the very end of the age. I read this. The same Jesus that I'm reading in that book on the Metropolitan Tube train, I realized I was going to see. I could not see him. I knew him with me as a sort of a stab of joy, almost. And occasionally I would get that stab of joy throughout my life. But, but the one I was reading of, not any other Jesus, but the one I was reading of, I would see one day. Is that an extraordinary thing? It's like, and, and, and you realize that when you see him, everything will be all right. Everything will be fixed, sorted, resolved. 
Someone said it's, it's like a, a good fairy story. I think it was Tolkien who said this. That a good fairy story comes with a real proper happy ending that resolves everything. And he says there's a moment in the book when you're reading. It's what they call the turn in a, in a fairy story. It's where you suddenly think, it's going to work out. It's going to work out. It's a sudden, and he says, it's like a sudden and miraculous grace. Uh, probably n- never to recur. It does not deny the existence of the sorrow or the failure, but it gives a fleeting glimpse of joy. In Tolkien's words, joy beyond the walls of the world, poignant as grief. What a way to put it. You know it's going to work out. Way back in 1614, famous preacher Lancelot Andrews, who was Bishop of Chichester, I think, was preaching to the King of England, King James. And Lancelot Andrews was involved in the King James Bible. And he said about this phrase, Emmanuel, the clue is in the name. The clue's in the name. It is Emmanuel. Now, if you know Hebrew and things. L stands for, for God, and Emmanuel means with us. And the point he made simply was this, that it, it should be God first. It should be El Emmanuel. But what he does is he puts us first. He puts us first. He is, he coined this little phrase, the with us God. The with us God. So put all of that together, those, those two points. He's with us to save, his commitment to you. And he's with us to stay, not physically, but in some spiritual sense, very present as Lord of history, as you open the word in the Christian community, and, and right through to the end. And that demonstrates a huge commitment to us. It's enough to make anyone cry, isn't it? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are going to read this gospel together. And you know that the thing we most need is you with us that this is no mere academic exercise to read letters on a page, but it is to know you. And and that is both um, something wonderful and something to make us tremble, because, of course, you see right through us. And yet, you forgive us our sins. And, Lord, the sense is that You came to save us and you came to stay with us. And Lord, as we stay on track with your mission, as we commit ourselves to that mission, that you will miraculously be with us the whole of every day. And Lord, 
that makes us want to live every day for you and to use the opportunities we find to speak of a Jesus who is not absent but present, living in his church and through his word. May we all grow in confidence in the knowledge of that. In Jesus' name, amen.